This is Alan Clark with the photo and taken conversations from outside the frame. Today, our guest is a friend of mine. Thankfully, over the last couple of years, I met Floyd Norman uh, at the story conference here in Nashville. He was asked to speak at the conference and he did such a fantastic job the whole time he talked uh, with Harris III. He drew uh, different, uh, you know, characters for people in the audience. Somebody would stand up and they would request, you know, hey, draw me, you know, Shere Khan or draw me, you know, Mickey. And he would just be talking during the whole interview the whole time. And he drew the whole time he talked. And that's kind of his life. He he goes about 100 miles an hour. He's never stopped. He's always been in motion. Uh, Floyd Norman is 86 years old and is more in touch with technology than anybody I've seen at that age. And at the same time, has such a respect for the old days, has respect for how things started and how hard and difficult things were when he first started uh, at Disney Animation Studios. He not only worked at Disney, but he also worked for Hanna-Barbera for a time. He um, also had a film studio with a friend of his named Leo Sullivan uh, called Vignette Films. And they did work for the U.S. government. They did work for the Fat Albert Show. They did work for... Uh, the original animation for Soul Train. It's crazy. He's had such a storied and amazing career as an animator. But, you know, Floyd made the point to tell us that he's also a storyteller. That's what his job really, really was, even over animation, was just developing stories and talking about um, how to uh, create, you know, and, and mess and delve into script writing and things like that for the animated movies that he did work on. Floyd has worked on the original Jungle Book, he was the lead story on that. He worked on Monsters, Inc. He worked on Toy Story 2 and many other things for Pixar. He's worked for Pixar as well and is still working to this day. I love it. I love the fact that creators don't stop creating. That's one of my favorite themes, I think, is that we don't until we hit a wall. One of my favorite photographers in the whole world hit a wall, literally hit a wall, and that's when he stopped. That was the first time he'd ever stopped being a photographer. And uh, that was Helmut Newton, of course. He was one of my favorite photographers and just an amazing person. Most creators just don't stop until the day they die. And uh, that's kind of how we are. We don't stop until we're told to stop or just asked to stop or just plain old stop. And that's kind of what uh, this life has been for not just me and other people that create, but for Floyd Norman as well. Floyd has been one of the people that you possibly didn't know uh, one of the main creators at Disney. Uh, but also, if you can check into this documentary that we've been talking about, The Animated Life, Floyd Norman's Animated Life movie, it's a fantastic documentary. We talk a little bit about it today. But just so excited to bring this uh, interview and this episode to you on the Photo Untaken podcast. Today, I'm delighted to have one of my friends and one of the lead animators at Walt Disney for a number of years, Mr. Floyd Norman. Floyd, how are you doing today? I'm doing just fine. Happy to be here. And where are you? Uh, where are you presently parked right now? Are you in? Uh, not you're not in Burbank. I think you're in Glendale or somewhere close to somewhere close to there. Yeah. Well, I'm in my uh, my home here in Pasadena, California. Not all that far from the Walt Disney Studio. They are right down the road, pretty much a half hour's drive away. And I pretty much chose this location because of the proximity to the Walt Disney Studio, so I wouldn't have to have a two-hour commute to work every day. So we are nearby. 
That's awesome. And you're able to drop Adrian, your wife, off at work almost every day. I don't know if you're still doing that or not, but uh, you, yeah. uh, a while back on the movie, especially, she talked about right. you dropping her off for the last 15 years, but that's been a few years since that came out. So Yeah. Uh, well, you know, and, for the, and, and for the dro- past year or so, we haven't been able to go to the studio, so we've been stuck here at home. That's right. Everybody's been kind of stuck at home. And I, that was one of the questions I had for you was, you know, during the pandemic, I guess you've been doing a lot more, you know, work from home, just like everybody else has. Right. Uh, and you took, I think you took the time to, uh, honestly be nice to a lot of us and do commissions and drawings for other people that requested them. And I know that you got inundated with that, but, yeah. uh, tell me how that last year went for you with the pandemic. What, what happened for you? Well, it, it was, it was, I mean, let's face it when we were sent home in March, uh, for what we thought was going to be a two week, <laughs> two weeks away from work turned out to be over a year. So uh, the first few weeks and months were, I tell you, downright miserable because, you know, nobody had, you know, faced anything like this probably in their lives. I I certainly don't recall anything like it. So even though I was in good health, thankfully, we, we stayed healthy. But the fact that we were sort of cut off and isolated uh, that was tough. And for a guy like me, and I like to be around people, I like to be around other, especially other creative people, share ideas and share our thoughts. Uh, being isolated at home was frankly quite miserable. Yeah, well, I can imagine. Yeah, yeah. And over time, we get used to it as we put our uh, our technology into place, you know, brought our computers home, uh, linked up to our servers, uh, linked up to each other using Zoom. And pretty soon we were in conversations with our friends and colleagues. Uh, even though we couldn't do it in person, we did it over the internet. And so somehow we managed to pick up and carry on. And that's one of the big lessons we learned about the pandemic, that even though we were all stuck at home, the work went on. Uh, it didn't miss a beat. That included Disney's publishing department, and that included Disney's film and television departments. We did not miss a beat. The work still got done. Uh, you know, even though everybody was, you know, working remotely, uh, the work went on. Well, thank you for uh, fulfilling a lot of people's dreams and desires by drawing for them during this time. Because I know it was rough for a lot of people. And, and I know that you were doing commissions and things like that. But now yeah. you're back to work and there's no more time for that. So what are you working on presently? What are some of the things you're working on? If you, if you can talk about it. I don't know that you can talk about it. But yeah, well, you can give me a general idea. That's a bad thing about, about uh, the, the kind of thing I do in working in development is there's so much that I'm doing that I can't talk about. I, I can hint and, and, and drop a little hint. So I, I've got a new feature film that's going to be on our streaming service, Disney+. Plus. Uh, this fall, a, a new feature film that I've been working on the more than the past year, about the past two years almost, uh, been working on that. And that's completed. We just wrapped it up, and it'll be on Disney Plus uh, in the fall. I'm working on developing some other things for television. Can't talk about those because we're still in early development. I've, also, uh, I don't want to die. I don't want you to kill me because I don't want to know. Yeah, you know yeah. I mean? Don't tell me. <laughs> yeah, Please but I'm I'm, I'm not mentioning anything that you know <laughs> right. that the public doesn't already know. 
And I, right. I, I had the opportunity to, to play a part in a, uh, a live action feature film. Uh, a few weeks ago, uh, I became an actor and uh, did a small part in a feature film that the producers wow. won't let me talk about just yet. But uh, I had the opportunity to, in a sense, put down my drawing pencil and become an actor playing a part in, 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 in a, a movie. Uh, I'm very kind of excited about it. It's a, it's a, it's a chiller. It's a thriller type movie. Hmm. And to me, it was just um, fun to do. Uh, keep in mind, I'm a kid who's always loved movies. Uh, since I was a kid growing up in Santa Barbara, I was a movie buff. I loved movies. So to have the opportunity to be an actor in a movie, honestly, I would have done it for free. You know, I would have done it for nothing. And yet I got paid for doing something that I had a real kick, uh, you know, shooting this movie. So, you know, I've been busy. That's amazing. And I've been having a good time. That's amazing. Tell me, um, speaking of that, like being, you know, growing up in Santa Barbara, and I think the very first, you tell me if I'm wrong, but was Dumbo the first big movie that you can remember your mother taking you to? When yeah. When you were that age, like a oh, young yeah. age. I was a little kid, and, and my mother took me, and I know why, because she took me to a nighttime uh, screening of Dumbo. Usually little kids go to, the, go to a, a matinee, you know, they go in the afternoon. But for some right. reason, maybe because my parents had to wait until they were off work, maybe that was the reason. Mm. But they took me to a nighttime showing of Walt Disney's Dumbo. And boy, what an impact that movie had on my life, uh, first as a kid and then later as an adult. Because one of the things I remember vividly from Dumbo was that stork sequence when the storks deliver babies to the circus animals. And the number one stork was played by an actor named Sterling Holloway. He played Mr. Sterling stork. Holloway. And years later, I was able to reunite with Sterling Holloway on another Disney film, The Jungle Book. But now I was no longer a little kid. Now I was a grown-up writing a Disney movie and being on the recording stage with the very same actor whose voice I had heard in Dumbo wow. when I was a little kid. That is so, that's such a great story. It really Tell is. Tell me about, how old were you when you were, uh, when you were the animator on a Jungle Book? I remember I was in my late 20s. I don't, you know, I was either 28 or 29 but, I, you know, I was still a kid, you know, still I call myself a know-nothing kid, but uh, a, a lucky kid because the old man himself, uh, Walt Disney, wanted me on, on the Jungle Book. And believe you me, I did not know why, with all of the great talent at the Walt Disney Studio, that the old man himself, Walt Disney, had decided that I needed to be on his movie. And... Um, hmm came as a total and complete surprise to me when my boss called me in one Friday afternoon and said, uh, Walt wants you on this movie. And of course, my thought was, why? <laughs> <laughs> why? But, but why he me? did. And, and when Walt Disney made a decision, you didn't argue with him. Um. And so your response, uh, did you have to have an initial meeting with Walt about this? Did you have to go in and just like, you know, 
you know, did you have to, I mean, you didn't have to do a pencil test for Walt, but you did have to go in and have an initial meeting about that. How did that go? No, the only meeting I had was with my boss in animation, who was basically right. telling me that I was leaving his department. I mean, that, that, that was, that was my okay. meeting. My boss called me in and said, you are now leaving my department. You're leaving this department and you're going upstairs to the second floor to work oh. in story on the Jungle Book. Now, keep in mind, I had never worked in the story department before. Never. I had never even requested to work in Disney's story department. I was well aware of it. I knew what they what they did up there vaguely. I mean, well, I knew they wrote the movies. But uh, I had never uh, aspired to be a writer. I had never aspired to be a Disney story artist it just was not something that was kind of like on my radar. Right. So, so when I got what the were work, you doing up until this point? What were you already doing up until this point then? Oh, I was, I was an animation artist. Mm. I'd been doing that for a number of years, uh, at least a decade. I'd been working in animation for at least 10 years uh, with the uh, hopes of one day qualifying to be a Disney animator. So that was my path and that was my goal. I wanted to be right. I wanted to be a Disney animator and that's why I, that's why I came to the studio in the first place. I know that a lot of laymen who don't understand the animation terms will often refer to me as a Disney animator and while I have been an animator that's never really been my um, you know my number one position at the studio. Uh, I have animated but mainly I've worked as a storyteller. Mm. So I'm more that's a writer. Great. Than an animator. Okay. Even, well, even tell though, me even the though difference. I know how, even tell, though I know how to animate. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, tell me the difference between so that because we you're right we don't know. Tell me what the being more of a writer means instead of being an animator. Okay. Well, I can use the live action analogy. Uh, a Disney story man is more like a screenwriter. Uh, a Disney animator is more like an actor. So, the story guys write the movie. The animators perform the movie. So the animators are the actors. They bring the characters to life. You know, they, they, okay. they do the performance. But we, this our is job really is to write the movie. Right. Yeah. So, so we, tell me, we are like, the screenwriters of the animated film. Gotcha. Yeah. So tell me from the Jungle Book then, some of the sequences that everyone's going to remember Tell me about some of the parts of the sequences that were mainly you in Jungle Book that we would remember. Because, I mean, I, I remember almost every single sequence from that. And that is really yeah. interesting to me. Well, you know, it's funny. Uh, they had a way of working at Disney back in the 1960s where story artists tend to work in teams. And mm -hmm. there were usually two guys to each team. Um, a couple of guys across the hallway. I remember uh, Dick Lucas and, and uh, Eric Kleeworth. They worked as a team. Um, who else? There was, um, trying to think of that. L. Wilson and another guy whose name I've forgot, forgotten. They worked as a team. And then there was Vance Gary and myself, and we worked as a team. And so that's the way the process worked. Uh, the story guys worked in teams, usually two to a team, and we would each be handed sequences in the film. And we would work together and develop the sequence, basically write the sequence that we would then pitch to Walt Disney. Walt gotcha. Disney would give us his notes and we would address those and go back to work. 
and hopefully uh, pitch them again to Walt Disney to get his approval. And that was pretty much the process on the, you know, on all the Disney films back back in the day. It, over the years, it changed and evolved. And you know, as new kids came in and as new managers came in, the pro, you know, and Walt had passed on. Right. So the way we worked tended to change because you know that was old Disney. And then again, I had to learn to work with you know basically new Disney, where I had to work with instead of another guy, I was kind of like work, working with an army where our story teams right. had grown to, you know, to like a dozen people, uh, right, which, right. which meant to me, I thought it was to me kind of confusing because you had so many people working on a movie, uh, sometimes, you know, too many cooks in the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me, can you think of a, of one of the sequences in jungle book that was just made that made you really proud then? Yeah. Well, one of the first things we that Vance and I worked on is where um, Shere Khan had uh, entered the film. We were over over halfway through the film before we see Shere Khan, who's a major character. You know, he's our villain, yeah. but we don't see him until almost halfway through the film. Well, that's what Vance and I started with, and the tiger. Yeah, you know, enters the scene and he's trying to find the kid, trying to find Mowgli. And so he questions Ka, the python. That was one of the first things Vance and I worked on was this marvelous sequence where this very crafty tiger questions the uh, the kind of obsequious snake, Ka, saying, have you seen the kid? And of course, Ka, the snake, is lying. No, no, I haven't seen him. I don't know, you know. <laughs> But he hasn't been this way, you know. I don't know. I don't know who he is, and so and yet, Ka has the kid in his coils, up <laughs> up in the tree. That, that was one That's of the right. first things uh, Vance That's and right. I worked on, and then, then of course we followed that um, when the uh, snake decides to hypnotize Mowgli once again. Now, early in the film, at at a, in a nighttime sequence, the snake had tried to hypnotize the kid. And got slapped by Bagheera, the panther, who who, mm -hmm. who jumped in and said, "You know, cut it out, Ka. You know, I got to take this kid back to his people. You know, you're not gonna you're not gonna eat him tonight." So uh, Ka made such an impression. We thought, well, we got to bring the snake back. We got to have him try to hypnotize the kid one more time. And so Vance and I crafted this little sequence where the tiger, I mean, where the snake tries to hypnotize Mowgli again and try to eat him and it was Walt Disney who said why don't we have the the snake as he tries to hypnotize the kid sing him a little song you know you know a little little cute little song hmm. to put him to sleep and you know kind of like a lullaby you know before you die you know <laughs> right and so and so Walt that's you know that, that was Walt's idea and we thought hey that's a pretty cool idea so that's when we called back Sterling Holloway and had him uh, record the song Trust in Me, which was written for that's us right. by Robert and Richard Sherman. And that's why it was on soundstage uh, A with Sterling as he recorded this uh, cute little song, Trust in Me. That's right. And we uh, reboarded the sequence and pitched it to Walt Disney. And by George, he liked it. Yeah. And gave us approval to put this thing into production, put it into animation, and uh, let's do it. 
So I feel that Vance and I were very lucky because it seemed that whatever we did, Walt Disney seemed to like. So mm. uh, I don't know if we were brilliant storytellers or we were just darn lucky. But uh, a lot of our sequences, uh, we got the approval of the old man. And boy, we were, you know, grateful for that. How much, how much of this do you think was because you knew Walt and what he liked? And were you able to kind of, you know what I mean, create in the style or in the thought of something that, you know, you know, you know, you, you know, your boss would love, you know? Okay. Was, that, that's it, was very, it something like that? Was that ever a thought? That's a very important question. I mean, that, that's really good because this really gets to the heart of the matter. Uh, Bill Pete was one of Walt Disney's finest writers and storymen at the studio, had been with the Walt Disney Studio since the 1930s. Bill Pete was legendary, uh, very talented guy. I can't say that I knew Bill. I knew his work, of course, but I didn't know him because he was an older gentleman. I knew who he was. I knew his work. But I also knew that what he had done with his adaptation of Kipling, what mm. he had done did not please Walt Disney. And basically, Walt Disney pretty much hated Bill's version of The Jungle Book <laughs> and didn't want to do it and wanted the film to be rewritten. And this was early in 1966, I think, when Walt basically said, I don't like this picture, don't like the way it's going, I want it rewritten. Bill Pete did not agree. Bill Pete walked out of the studio in disgust. He quit. Oh. And Walt said, start over. And people were asking, gee, I wonder what Walt Disney wants. Since he, does, he didn't like what Bill did, I wonder what he wants. Well, I had a pretty good idea of what Walt Disney wanted. I mean, to me, it seemed obvious. Having grown up as a kid, watching Disney movies, listening to Disney songs, reading Disney comic books and storybooks, I had a pretty good idea of what Walt Disney wanted in, 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 in a movie. What he wanted was a Walt Disney movie. <laughs> the answer to me just seemed obvious. Yeah. He didn't like what Bill Pete had done because what Bill had given him was not a Disney movie. And that's what Walt wanted. And so when Vance and I got to work on, the, on rewriting the story, we said, well, we think we know what Walt wants. You know, right. he wants a Disney movie. He wants a movie that uh, the characters are going to be lovable. Not just likable, but lovable. He wants a movie that's going to make people laugh. It's going to give them a lot of fun. And he wants a movie that's going to touch people emotionally. It's going to make people cry. He wants a Walt Disney movie. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. and that Simple was in my that. head. I just, you know, that's what he wants. Simple and that's what, that. Bill, that's what Bill didn't give him. And that's what he wants to see. Well, you know, Disney had a way of kind of putting their twist on everything. If you go back and look at all the old like Grimm's fairy tales and Hans Christian Andersen and all those things, they would take the kind of the base story, yeah. but they just kind of like make it like, cause I mean, you go back and look at those stories, even lullabies, all of them, anything yeah. written in the 1800s and previous yeah. is all dark and weird and sad and scary and frightening. Yeah. And, and Walt must've seen that and been like, I don't want to present that to children. That's a horrible thing to yeah, tell a child yeah, before yeah. they go to bed. You know, so to me, it was more about 
people always have that idea that Disney kind of candied things up a bit, but yeah. you know what? These are children we're talking about here. Yeah. And when you want to present a story that makes them feel good, not just about their surroundings, their environment, but about themselves. And yeah. that's kind of what I always thought was really sweet about what his intentions were. He wanted right. to have a happy ending sometimes for these fairy tales, which in Europe and in the 1800s did not have happy endings. Yeah. It was always led to death somehow or somebody falling <laughs> yeah. out of a tree or some monster eating them or something. And yeah. that's what he, he must've looked at that and said, that, that can't be right. You know what I mean? Yeah. The, yeah, the, the grim the fairy tales were indeed grim. <laughs> that's the reason why they've changed the vernacular to fit around something. When they say it's not very good, it's grim. Yeah. There was a reason for that. You oh, know what yeah, I mean? So yeah. Walt must've said, no way, that's not going to be something I want to be involved with. And that's why he, he wanted these things to shape up a little bit. And you, you were a huge part of that. Yeah. And I think that's fantastic. That was a, that was a great call on that. And I think yeah. you knew his heart and you knew what he liked. Yeah. And we got lambasted by the critics, you know, often of course, because, because they claimed that our films were being Disney fied. They claim that Walt was taking the classic, you know, these classic European, you know, fairy tales, and he would Disneyfy them. Well, well, yeah, well, I guess that's what he was doing. Walt was taking these stories and putting his own, his own Disney spin on these stories because, after mm. all, you know, we were making films. This is a commercial enterprise, after all. We were trying to sell these European stories to a brand new audience. And Walt wanted to sell a story that had hope and promise mm. and optimism. He didn't like the dark and he didn't like the grim uh, stuff <laughs> in the in the stories. And that didn't mean that we removed all of the uh, scary stuff because there are a lot of Disney no. films that literally scared the hell out of me when I was a kid. <laughs> so yeah, so the I was the, always terrified of Pinocchio, not Pio, Pinocchio, even though that was one of them. Yeah, but you know, everybody cried when Bambi's mother died. I mean, that's just part of life. It you is. Know? Yeah. Um, so one thing that I think is pretty important here is just the idea of, you know, think about it. There there aren't any critics that are children. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) There are no critics that are children. There weren't any children, eight to 10 years old, you know, working for the Washington post at the time. (laughs) And writing film reviews. Not lean, not exactly. They're not writing film reviews for the Chicago Tribune. Yeah. Uh, and none of them had jobs as, as uh, critics. And so to me, that's, uh, I think if anything, I think sometimes it's just that critics want to, uh, be the first to hate on something because that makes them appear as if they're cool or knowledgeable or whatever. And to me, I'm just like, why can't we have a nice story? Why yeah, is that right? Why is that wrong? Why is that impossible? Yeah. Um, but um, okay, so let's talk about uh, let's talk about maybe just a little bit uh, how you came to be at Disney in the first place, how you walked in that door, and I think you uh, I think you went to school in Pasadena. I did. I went to uh, Art Center College of Design. Uh, uh, when I graduated from high school, I was lucky enough to get a uh, an interview at the Walt Disney Studio when I, I was just a 17-year-old uh, high school graduate. And uh, one Saturday morning, I was uh, granted a, uh, a very special interview. Studio was closed. There was nobody there except a few people in the personnel department who were willing to uh, look at my portfolio and give me some much-needed advice. And so they said, kid, we could give you a job here at the studio as a messenger boy. But what we would recommend, the wiser choice would be to go to art school, learn how to be an artist, and then come back and apply for a job at the Disney studio. I took their advice. 
I could have taken a job at the studio, but I didn't do that. I went off to uh, Art Center College of Design and began to study art and to, you know, to learn, to learn how to be an artist, basically, to learn composition and perspective and color and all of that mm. stuff, good drawing, all of that stuff I needed to know to be to be a good artist. And uh, thankfully, I think I made the right decision. And yeah, a few years later, right I eventually ended up back at the Walt Disney Studio as, you know, as a real employee hired by the studio to come to work for them. But uh, I had, I had uh, you know, I, I had done the hard work. I had uh, yeah. gotten my training. Um, if you want a job, if you aspire to do a certain job, you first have to learn that job. You first have to be qualified to do that job. And so I went to school to gain those qualifications. Um, who in your life was there to tell you that you could do any of this? You know, a lot of people's parents, Floyd, would have told you to take the job, like take the sweeping job or something like that. You know, a lot of kids' parents would have said, you know what, go ahead and get in the building and all that type of stuff. But who was in your life that, you know, gave you the permission, gave you the idea that you could do exactly what you wanted? Well, a bit of that is discussed in the documentary that uh, Eric Sharkey and Michael Fiore made about my life and career. And one of the key points in that documentary was the fact that I was lucky enough to have been born in Santa Barbara, California. That's right. And that's no small deal because the very fact that I was born in Santa Barbara, California, placed me in a unique environment. Santa Barbara was a creative community, uh, a, a community that not only uh, enjoyed, but they celebrated the arts. Now, you know what that meant? That meant that as a kid, I was surrounded by creative people. Yeah. Movie stars literally moved in, lived in Santa Barbara. Wow. Uh, film directors, screenwriters, uh, composers, choreographers, all lived in nearby Santa Barbara, Montecito. Mm. And so we as kids growing up had access to movie people, stage people, theatrical people. Uh, it was kind of like a normal thing with us. And so when we said as kids, and there were many of us who aspired to a show business career, who wanted to be writers, who wanted to be actors, who wanted to be dancers, who wanted to be animators, when we said, this is what we want to do, we weren't talked out of it and said, oh, kid, what a dumb idea. You ought to go off to school and, <laughs> and get a real job. Be a lawyer, right. be an accountant, be a doctor, be, you know, get a real job. No, no, we were encouraged. We were not discouraged. We weren't told we were crazy because we wanted to be an actor. We weren't told we were nuts because we wanted to be an animator. We were told, go for it. Do it. That's a great That's idea, right. kid. You know, go be a director. And so guess what happened? Some of us from Santa Barbara High School, did just that. We became screenwriters. We became directors. We, we became actors. And I became uh, an animation artist at the Walt Disney Studio because nobody told me that I couldn't do it. Nobody told me that was a dumb idea. Everybody encouraged me to follow my dream. And I know that a lot of kids were probably who, who maybe had a, you know, a similar dream were probably told by their parents and grandparents and friends and family. Probably, they were probably told they were they were nuts. <laughs> they were probably told they were they were crazy. You want, you want to go to Hollywood and, and be an actor? 
you're out of your mind. You know, you're nuts, kid. Right. You, be, you better go to college and learn how to do something and get a real job. You know, down at the uh, down at the mill. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's right. But you know, you have to kind of have something you know with you when you show up. Opportunity is going to take you only so far. Yeah, you've got to have the will to work. You've got to have some talent. And if you guys haven't seen this documentary that Floyd is referring to, it's called um, Floyd Norman and Animated Life. It's a wonderful documentary, not just about Floyd's life, which is absolutely re- amazing and remarkable, but it's also about uh, what he's saying is the permission, the the ability to just be around a community that said yes, uh, yes, because that's a huge, huge thing. And I know that that's a lot of what goes into us. As creators, we have a hard time sometimes because we don't give ourselves permission. We don't uh, think that we can do something. Our confidence is in shambles and that type of stuff. And you really realize that you've got to work on that first and have that in place first because that's going to either get you in the door or sustain you once you're there. Right. And um, that that documentary that you're referring to, I love. Your f- family, Floyd, actually came from the South. They came from Mississippi. Right. But that somebody, I believe it was your aunt, right. said, hey, I've found the promised land. You guys have got to come to Santa Barbara. And that was kind of how this started to begin with. Yeah, yeah, very true. Very true. My my uh, Aunt Esther was the first to visit Santa Barbara and basically spread the word that I found this great little town in Southern California that has just perfect weather all year round and is just kind of like a— a Pacific paradise, almost kind of like uh, an American version of the river, the Riviera, uh, with the, be- mm. the beautiful mountains and the, the seashore and the the ideal climate. And she said, "Just Santa Barbara is just a beautiful little town." And what are we doing in Natchez, Mississippi, when we could be living in Santa Barbara? And guess what happened? Pretty much my whole family, <laughs> pretty much the entire family, packed up left the South and headed to California and Santa Barbara, California. Wow. Talk about changing your life. Indeed. Indeed. Your life could have turned out very different had you stayed or gone to any different place. Totally. Yeah. A lot of people from the South actually would go towards Chicago and that's just so smart that, that she's like, no way, let's get, let's get even better than Chicago. Yeah. Let's go to Santa Barbara. And she ended up in Santa Barbara. That's wonderful. And that's, I believe that's where you actually saw, uh, Dumbo was in Santa Barbara at the movie theater. That's correct. Right. Right. Um, okay. So let's cut to, let's cut to, you've had a career going now at Disney on and off, I believe, because you went, I think you went away from Disney for a few years during that 10 year period before you got onto the jungle book. But then tell me about the animation company you started with, Leo. Yeah, well, that would be Vignette Films Incorporated, uh, basically a name that I made up myself because I thought, well, you know, if I ever had a, a movie company, if I ever had my own film company, what, what would I call it, I wondered. And I kind of liked the idea of Vignette. <laughs> It's 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 a design term uh, that graphic designers often speak about, a page being a bleed or a vignette. But I just like the sound of it. And so, but it was just kind of like my own personal fantasy. But my partner, Leo, is a, is he's an odd dude. He thought, <laughs> why 
wait, why don't we really just start our own company? Hmm. And of course, none of us knew anything about starting our own business. You know, we had no business uh, training, no business expertise. It was just something Leo thought we should do. He says, we can make films. We can write, we can direct, we can animate. Why don't we start our own studio? So lo and behold, um, the way crazy young men would, would do these things, we quit our jobs and launched our own production company back in the 1960s. Now, the 1960s was an incredible time because a lot of things were happening in America, in the world, but in America in particular, the social changes, the civil rights movement, uh, Martin Luther King Jr., and the Watts Riot, which we photographed in 1965 using two movie cameras. We went into the streets of Los Angeles and photographed the 1965 Watts Riot. So it was an amazing time. And uh, we learned a lot during that time. We didn't become a successful business, but what we did do, we sort of trained ourselves as independent filmmakers. And so even though we returned to the Hollywood studios eventually, we returned with a good deal of knowledge of filmmaking and business under our belts. And so uh, I don't look at that time as being wasted. Uh, that was a pretty important time. And uh, we learned a lot from that break from the industry, going off on our own and trying to become successful filmmakers as independents. Well, it was such an important time, like you're saying, but at the same time, at the same time, you and Leo and a few others, I believe, were just troubadours in yeah. this, in that you cut your own path, you did your own thing, and you did a lot of great work. I mean, you worked for, you had U.S. government contracts. Right. You either directly or indirectly worked on the Fat Albert show. Yes, we did. Uh, you know, uh, you even came up with a beginning animation for Soul Train, which I know most everyone that's going to be watching this or hearing this uh, <laughs> has seen. You guys did a lot of groundbreaking work for two guys that didn't know a lot about business. You you probably knew more about animating and story than you knew anything, and then that was kind of what you did. That was your strength, and you leaned into your strength. Yeah. Um, what can you tell people like now that are trying to go out on their own uh, that – really could use some advice because, you know, it's a, ter a terrifying world out there when you go head out, when you leave a company yeah. that has benefits and has all these great things and go out on your own. What could you give as a piece of advice for somebody going out on their own and starting something new? Well, it's kind of funny. I talk to young people all the time uh, in the classroom and even better in person as I was speaking with young men and women yesterday. Uh, young men and women who aspire to a job in this industry. They want to become filmmakers. They want to work in television. They want to work in motion pictures. And what I do, I always remind them that there's nothing wrong with having a dream because that dream is a starting point. Uh, for me, uh, the, way, the reason I got to the Walt Disney Studio was because I had a dream. I wanted to work for Disney. I wanted to make movies. However, there's two parts to this. It's not just a dream. The dream's important. But then there's the second component of hard work. If you want to make it, if you want to be successful, then you've got to work your butt off. 
You've got to be yeah. totally, totally committed. And if you're willing to give that dream total commitment and do the hard work that's required, then you can make it. But you've got to believe in yourself and not being overconfident, not with a sense of arrogance, but just a dedication and a commitment. And that's what I had. I mean, when I came to the Walt Disney Studio as a kid, 17 years old, for the first time I was standing on the Walt Disney Studio, you know, lucky enough to have gotten a, a little tour to get, to get on the Disney lot. But I remember thinking as a 17-year-old kid, thinking to myself, this is where I belong. This is what I want to do with my life. And nothing, and I do mean nothing, is going to prevent me from doing that. And I think hmm. to be successful, you need that kind of commitment, you know, <laughs> that kind of dedication when you say, I'm going to do this, you know. People may, may tell me I'm wrong. People may tell me I'm crazy. But I'm going to do this because, you know, this is, this is what I want. This is what I'm committed to. It's funny that you would use the word commitment because I believe as, as creators and honestly now in this day and age, I think a lot of us have a hard time committing to one thing. A lot of us have trouble with committing to this one thing. We got to do five things. We got to do seven things. And to me, I think, yes, that's versatile. I love versatility. Don't get yeah. me wrong. Yeah. But at the same time, that also divides up your commitment. It divides up your focus. It divides up your heart and your mind. Yeah. And it really, truly is uh, about finding the one thing that you do great. Yeah. And I think that's that's one of the things I think that keeps us more so than helps us. And so to me, I, I really hope that everybody's listening out there to what Floyd just said, and that is just the fact that you have to really be all in with these types of things. You cannot divide it up, divided by four, divided by six, divided by eight. You've got to actually go all in. That means all on one thing. And to me, I've always kind of had this as a philosophy. And I think a lot of people don't like it necessarily because they loved, it's almost like uh, not committing to a relationship in a way they love having the, you know, one thing that could pop over here in case this thing doesn't work. And yeah. I just don't, I just don't believe that I'm with you, Floyd. I, I kind of think you need to go all in and that's what you did. That's how you started. And that's, that's where you are presently. Um, one of the things I did want to talk about, and we talked about this last time, um, and that is the multiplane camera. We're going to switch tracks a little bit because I know we're talking about <laughs> being motivated and working. But, you know, also there's a technical side of a lot of what you do. Yeah. And uh, that I, could, I just can't imagine how difficult this was to work with this thing. This is b before CGI, before, you know, any, you know, any other types of changes, any kind of computer, anything. You guys had to work with a thing called the multiplane camera. We'll put this in the notes, uh, photos of this thing. It's crazy. It was, I think it was two, maybe even three stories tall. Yeah. And it had multiple cells in it. it I think it maxed five different levels. And you guys would actually have to color and paint the cells in so that it would be one on top of another, on top of another, on top of another. Yeah. There was a lot technically going into this thing. Tell me about your memory about working with this multiplane camera uh, at the time. Yeah, that's really interesting. I I was invited to speak at uh, Apple's Worldwide Developers Conference, a conference that I had always wanted to attend <laughs> for many years. I had always wanted to attend the Developers Conference up in San Francisco uh, for Apple Computer, and um, 
it was ironic that uh, when I finally got to attend the developers conference, guess what? I was not an uh, an attendee. I was a speaker. <laughs> oh man, that's got to be frightening. So what the heck has happened? I I I, I was the one on stage <laughs> speaking to Thanks. the technologists, what I call the really smart people, who were out in the audience, <laughs> but. I took that opportunity to remind them that Walt Disney was, in his own way, a technological innovator. Walt Disney had been innovating since the 1930s when he came to Hollywood, and he had always been pushing the technology. Uh, one of the things the Walt Disney Studios did, besides just making wacky and funny cartoons, they really pushed the film technology. And, of course, one of the many things they did was the creation of the multiplane camera back in the early 40s, a device that was basically the pinnacle of high technology of its day. Looking back on it today, it's a big, cumbersome hunk of junk of tubes and <laughs> wires and, you know, chunks of steel and all of this. So it just looked like this big, cumbersome device. I'm sitting in front of my computer this morning, and the computer I have literally has more power than that multiplane camera had back in the, in the 1940s. That's how much our world has changed today. That's how far technology has moved today. The kind of technology you can have on a laptop that would take a room, you know, filled with all of this equipment back in the 1940s. So the world has changed and technology has changed. And Walt Disney has often been in the forefront of that technological innovation. Mm. And that's why when I spoke to the, uh, the brilliant men and women at Apple about what they were doing with technology and what they've given us with the iPad and the iPhone and the computer and all of the incredible devices that we could only have dreamed about back in the 1940s, that, uh, you know, one of the cool things about having the multiplane camera at the Disney studio today is that it reminds us of the beginnings of technology and how far we've come since the early days of the 1940s uh, here at the, at the Disney studio. You know, uh, last week, I believe, you celebrated your birthday. Yeah. Um, how old are you now, Floyd? I turned uh, 86 years of age, and that's because I was born in 1935. <laughs> so I'm on my cap here. That's funny. Born in 1935. So I turned 86. 86. Now, do you guys know of an 86-year-old that can both talk about a Disney multiplane camera <laughs> and the way they used to do things? And also about Procreate in an iPad or, you know, whatever uh, types of programs you're using uh, to do animation today. Yeah. I don't know of anyone. Uh, Marcus and I were talking about this earlier. We, we know at the time we couldn't get either of our fathers to work a telephone, much less, a, <laughs> you know, an Apple computer. Yeah. Uh, and to me, I think that's one of the most fascinating things about you, Floyd, is that you have embraced both new and old technologies together. And you've seen them both. And I, yeah. I've, I, I myself have seen when I made the transition from film to digital and it's just, you know, sometimes I think it's one of my favorite jokes that Bill Murray said on, uh, 
uh, Groundhog Day. It's not that because she thought that he was God, and he just basically said, you know what, maybe God's not, uh, um, you know, just um, omnipresent, omnipotent. He's, like, he's just been around forever. Yeah. You know <laughs> what I mean? He's been around we've, a long we've been time. Able to yeah. see, exactly. We've been around forever. And that's it, that's so fascinating to me is that you've embraced technology and all these different things. It's just so remarkable that you've always just had that kind of, you've also wanted to be on the cutting edge of things too. Yeah, yeah. Not just Disney. Because, well, there's always so much more to learn. And and I think one of the things about old people getting old is they think they know everything. Well, the <laughs> truth is they don't. Yeah, uh, when you're old, you know a lot. But a lot doesn't mean you know everything. And so there's a whole lot more to learn. And so the way I've always approached life is I've got a lot more to learn. And I tell my students that I'm not the master. I'm the apprentice. Because I'm mm. still learning and because I have much to learn. I don't know it all and I don't ever pretend to know it all. I've got a lot to learn. And 86 may seem old to you, but it's not that old to me. <laughs> I think that's a choice. I think you've chosen to have the heart and mind of a child, yeah. you know, in a way, and just always keep that joy and curiosity. Yeah. And wonder and wonder that, that that a lot of us have lost. I, I don't know what we do with it. I don't know why we decide to do this. But that is a choice, and you have to wake up each day, each week to, yeah. to choose that. And that's what's been so amazing to me is to to see a person that you know your age is telling me this, but the way you are, the way you act, the way I've seen you around others is telling me a completely different story. That's yeah. something that I've always found fascinating about you, and I hope I can inspire to be the same way. <laughs> Uh, when I get to your age or beyond, you know what I mean? So thank you for just uh, being like that. There's so few people like this. I've got people my age in my high school group, and that, like, it seems like all they want to do is watch their television shows and go to bed. Yeah. It's just so boring yeah. to me. I know, <laughs> you know? I know. It's and, so and boring. That, that's one of the things that keeps you young is is basically having the mind of a child. And while it's true that our bodies grow older, you know, we, we can't, we can't, Disagree with that. You know, we do get older, we do age, but it doesn't mean that your mind has to get old. It doesn't mean you have to stop being excited by life or learning new things. Uh, this is what keeps you young, and this is what makes you realize that in many ways you are young because you don't know everything and you've got so much more to learn. You know, so yeah, that, that, having that attitude keeps you young. Absolutely. Yeah. Can you remember anything that I'm I'm thinking back and I'm thinking about all the times that you were able to spend around Walt, uh, the old man, as you call him. Yeah. The old man. Uh, was there, <laughs> was there, uh, was there ever anything? It's funny because here we were talking about age and everything, and, but he was the same. He was exactly the same. Yeah. You know, he liked to kind of keep his mind young as well, but can you remember anything as far as advice goes or just something that you, that you saw him do that you saw him say or be that you really liked that you'd like to kind of, you know, adapt yourself. Can you remember anything that you saw him in a working environment or not in a working well, environment? Well, many. Just something he did. Oh, yeah, all, all the time. Uh, one of the things that, uh, you know, certainly sums up Walt Disney's character is that, that he's, he's a guy who was always excited by life. He was always excited by new things. He celebrated the past, of course, because he, he recognized the importance of legacy. But he was also excited about the future. 
And that's why one of the last projects he was working on before he died, one of his last projects that sadly was never realized because nobody had the vision to carry on without him, Walt Disney wanted to build, literally build, the city of tomorrow. And that's because Walt was always looking toward the future, looking toward a better world, doing things a, a better way. Uh, he felt that life could be improved and made better, made more exciting, made more, uh, you know. And, and he truly believed this. It sounds corny, but uh, Walt was the ultimate optimist. He looked forward and he saw a better world, a better life for everybody. And to demonstrate this, he was going to build Epcot down in Orlando, Florida, and he was going to pull together the the knowledge and the the innovation from the best minds all over the country and all over the world. He was going to partner with some of the biggest companies uh, in America and around the world to build a city that would serve as a prototype as an example to what could be done with smart thinking and great technology. He wanted to build, literally, the city of tomorrow. And he wow. would have built it, sadly, yeah. if, if uh, his life hadn't come to a premature end. Well, he left, he left an amazing legacy, and most of it's about, you know, that has words like imagineering and things that were kind of almost either made up for him, by him, or things that he thought of for us yeah. and for creativity, period. If there could ever be a place that's known and a city that's known for it, it's the city that you're presently either next to or close to. And that's just, you know, that's just kind of how he was. It seems like he had it in everything that he was, every yeah. part of his being. Right. And uh, it's that, that can't be bad to be around, right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, Walt Disney was the ultimate optimist. He always looked toward a better tomorrow. Sounds corny. Sounds corny as a Dickens, but Walt did indeed look for a better tomorrow. I think I'm okay with corny. Yeah, I think I'm done yeah. with everything. I think I'm done with everything else. I'm done <laughs> with cr critics. I'm done with cynicism. Yeah, I'm done with uh, complicated. I'm done with clever. I mean, you know, a lot of those things that we all kind of worship. And when you grow as an artist, you kind of uh, put your mind around. And I'm just yeah. okay with simple. And yeah. I'm okay with romance and fairy tales and positivity. I think I think we're all having to come around. Yeah, back around to that. This has been an amazing uh, time just to be able to spend with you today. We don't have to end it right now, but I did want to talk about before we ended you know, what's next, what's happening. I know that there's a lot that you can talk about, a lot that you can't, but like what's, what's kind of coming down the pike uh, for you? Well, you know, one of the great things about being retired and uh, I am retired <laughs> officially, but I often tell my students that retire, retirement means you don't stop working. <laughs> I think right. people think of retirement as where you basically sit on your butt and do nothing. Retirement doesn't have to have to be that. I, maybe retirement means you don't have to go to work every day, you know, go to that job. But it doesn't mean that you can't stay busy. So, There's not a creator that I know of, Floyd, yeah. including yourself. The, most creators that I know, either photographers, designers, anybody, everyone that I can ever think about, this is how they go out. Yeah. They stop 
they stop, they stop when they, their heart stops beating and that's it. Exactly. Like outside of that, you're going to always continue to create. You're yeah. always going to do that. That's every creator that I've loved and admired. That's just the way that we are. We just don't stop until we've, we're just forced to stop. Yeah. You know yeah. I mean? it, it ain't over till it's over. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. That's right. So, so what's great about my life is uh, just being able to, as my old mentor, Ward Kimball, told me, uh, I said, when, when I asked the uh, retired Ward Kimball one day, what are you doing, Ward? And he says, I'm, I'm having fun. And that meant he was working on anything that he enjoyed. If a fun yeah. job came along and it looked like he could have a good time, he took that job. Uh, he did the things he wanted to do. And really, isn't that what retirement should be? Uh, it's yeah. not having to go to work Absolutely. every day and having to do the things somebody else wants you to do, but doing the things you want to do. And so what Ward was doing was he said, I'm doing all the fun jobs, the jobs that I enjoy, the jobs that I, that I want to do. And so I've been sort of, I patterned my life after Ward and the jobs I'm doing from being an actor in a motion picture to being a uh, guy developing a TV show to working on a documentary for Disney plus uh, for doing the fun things that I enjoy doing. And so that's what I'm doing with my life today. Always busy, always working, but key to all this is I'm having fun. I'm having, I'm having a good time being retired because I'm not doing nothing. I am actually (laughs) busier than ever. That's right. And again, we get back to the same word, choice. Yeah. You get to choose the things that you want for yourself. And right. I think that's a wonderful place to be. And it sounds like you're happy and it sounds like things are going exactly how they should be. Yeah. Yeah. And I am. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's all it could. That's what could be better. Yeah. You know, what could be better? Well, thank you, Floyd. Thank you so much for doing this. Um, I know that uh, there's going to be a lot more to come from you. We expect a lot more to come from you. And we can't wait. We're excited to see what's going to come and happen next for you. Thank you so much for doing this today. Uh, just happy to talk to you again, as always. And hopefully there'll be another uh, animation convention that we can go to. I hope so. Hang out. I hope so. As I'm things pretty sure the next, open up. Yeah, it looks like things CTN. are. CTN. Yeah. That's right. I think CTN is going to be popping back to live and in person. Right. Because like, uh, I think I think they tried to do a, a online version last year yeah. and I sadly couldn't be there. I was uh, somewhere else. And um, anyway, love doing that. I hope to see you again and all the Willie Ito and all the boys out there again. Yeah. yeah. It was fantastic. So thanks again for joining us today. And I just really appreciate you spending the time with us. It's been my pleasure. You know, happy to do it. Thank you. Floyd. You bet. <laughs>